What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. I am Brett Hudson, and I'm joined, as always, on the football editions of the Bama Beat Podcast by Clint Lamb. Clint, what's going on, man? Not much, man. The as always part. Um, <laughs> coming to an end, brother. It's true. It's true. Yeah, those of you that uh, that A, don't follow me on Twitter, and B, don't listen to the baseball editions of the the Bama Beat podcast probably have not heard yet but this will this we I am in my last few days with the with the Tuscaloosa News Tidesports.com and by extension the Bama Beat podcast I'm taking a job with an honor society that is based here in in Tuscaloosa so I'm I'm recalibrating my um my relationship with sports writing and the the sports world as a whole for for the betterment of, of time with my children. My my daughters are gonna be thirteen months old by the time this uh this this episode publishes. So um it's it's time to to make a, a little bit of an adjustment in in how I live my life so I can better uh spend time with them and, and be around them as, as much as they deserve. But um I said this a little bit on the baseball podcast, but I'll, I'll say it again because they're probably pretty different audiences. This has probably been the most fun that I've had with with this position since I got here in August of 2019, doing these Bama Beat podcasts with with you, Clint, with uh, Hunter on the baseball podcasts, and then with uh, with Cecil occasionally on uh, on roundtable episodes, which we. Didn't get to do as many of those as we wanted to, thanks to the the pandemic. But um, this has probably been some of the most fun that I've had on on duty, I guess. And the the reception from the the listeners and the tweets and the questions and the the positive reviews that um, that you've brought to my attention at times have been have been really cool. So um, I'm, I'm sure the the momentum will be onward and upward. After I uh, exit stage left on Monday, uh, Monday the eighth, I think the the date is for whenever people make it to to listen to this. But uh, I'm sure the momentum will just go onward and upward now that it's not having to to carry me on its shoulders. Um, but I'm looking forward to to one more one more episode because while there hasn't been a ton of of news. Uh, since we last podcasted, there has been the the Ty Simpson commit, which has a bunch of people up and going. And then you have a, a list of questions that you've been receiving from from people in the fan base that we'll we'll uh, we'll toy around with in this episode. So it's a it's a good one to go out on, I think. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely perfect. Um, and I know that I'm going to miss you, man. I actually just left the radio show I was doing, and that was a whole different set of goodbyes. Um, you know, another co-host that I'd gotten to to be pretty close with as far as, you know, talking sports and, and now to have this follow it up, man, I, I'm bummed, but I'm excited for you. And I completely understand um, anybody that's in this business and people that aren't, uh, they, they tend to say, you know, they would be willing to make all the necessary sacrifices, which I, I mean, I, we are, you know, that's that's why I do it. That's why you did it for as long as you did. Um, and we were very fortunate to get to cover sports for a living. And I, I, so I don't want this to sound like 
that that we're not appreciative, but there are sacrifices involved that I think people don't necessarily maybe realize uh, as much and and not getting to spend as much time with with your two little baby girls as maybe that you would like. I'm glad that you're getting the opportunity to go, you know, have some security with a, with another job. It's not like you're going to be um, jobless or, or, or struggling or anything like that. You get to continue to to support your family, but also get to spend more time with your family. And I think anybody can in, definitely understand that. But you're absolutely right. There, there's been some questions that have come in, and it's been you know over the last couple of weeks, uh, I'd probably say, and you know some of them I've addressed already to those people. Uh, but there were just questions that I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll put together four or five of them at least. Uh, that I've gotten because a lot of these I've gotten multiple times and we'll kind of just hash it out and and, and kind of give our answers to you know the the masses right here on the Bama Beat podcast uh, which we'll of course do that but just very quickly not going to spend a ton of time on it uh, I think people have read the articles and and they understand exactly what Alabama's getting in Ty Simpson but just wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about uh what kind of addition that is for alabama what were your initial thoughts on it well it's it's big because i think people uh who who follow this enough to listen to a podcast i guess would understand that you kind of have to have a quarterback in most if not every recruiting class when you're recruiting at the highest levels because those guys transfer when they when they don't play so you kind of have to recruit depth that you don't need when you sign it, but you will need it later on because your pre-existing depth is likely to transfer it away if they aren't the ones that get the starting position. Um, and, and Mac Jones is a, an obvious counterexample to that, but he's also kind of the exception that proves the rule to a certain extent. So um, you have to get a quarterback in in every class if you're going to recruit at this high a level and, and, and Ty Simpson checks that box for Alabama, but I, I keep, I kept finding myself coming back to as good as this is for, for Alabama to, to get Ty Simpson in its recruiting class and kind of kickstart its class that way. I mean, he's, he's a five star. He's a number 27 overall prospect in the class of 2022. And he's, he's the first such prospect in, in Alabama's class. So, um, in Alabama's 2022 class, that is. So that's a, a nice way to start it. But it, it also kind of forced Clemson to scramble, which I think is always an unintended but beneficial consequence when you can force your typical recruiting rivals to, to scramble and, and do something different, which uh, they were able to, to figure that out pretty quickly. They, they went in for Ty Simpson, who is the number four quarterback in the prospect, didn't get him, so they quickly just offered the number seven, Clade, Cade Klub, Klubnik, out of Austin, Texas, and they uh, they secured his commitment pretty quickly. So they did have a quarterback on the board. It just forced them to to scramble and do something different. But it was more important for for Alabama in that regard because I don't think they were really all that in on Klubnik's recruitment, and then number eight quarterback in the class, Sam Horn committed to Missouri not that long ago. So you would have been Bama more or less would have been dipping into probably the sub 100 prospects in, in the 2021 recruiting class to get a quarterback, which is not the worst thing in the world. I mean, there are still plenty of four-star quarterbacks that just happen to be outside of the, the top 100. So it's not like they would have been 
getting a developmental prospect that they they knew wasn't going to do them any good for at least three years if they didn't get Ty Simpson. But it does kind of force you to go to a, a plan B and a plan C that um, those are the guys that get you beat when when you play and recruit at, at Alabama's levels. Those those plan B and plan C guys are good to have and they they fill spots on your uh, scholarship distribution chart and your depth chart and all that. But when push comes to shove and those guys are on the field in the national championship game, for instance, those tend to be the guys that get picked on. Um, so the fact that Alabama was able to avoid going to a plan B and plan C at, at this crucial position in its 2022 classes is obviously a benefit. Well, you know, I, I did think it was extremely important. Um, Alabama did a great job of signing a historically good recruiting class last year, despite the fact that um, they lost a um, a high caliber quarterback commit in Drake May and went a majority. I would, yeah, I would probably say majority of the time without having a quarterback committed. But it always makes life easier on the recruiting trail. Uh, whether you're recruiting, you know, offensive linemen, receivers, uh, you know, running backs, it really anybody just knowing that when you have the Alabama brand, but you also have a quarterback in that class, which you understand if you're going to be competitive, you need to have quality quarterback play. And so when you can point to a guy and say, hey, pretty much the entire time you're going to be here, we got a guy that we're expecting to be a high caliber quarterback keeping us in the program relevant uh, on top of uh, you know several other things that's not all of what it takes but just saying having that stability is a great selling point for other prospects and getting him as early as Alabama did I think that was very important um, for for Alabama but from his perspective and I pointed this out on Twitter Alabama made so much sense you know you got four top 10 for the top 10 receivers in the 2021 class who are going to be coming in. You got the number one offensive tackle, the number two offensive tackle, the number two offensive guard, the number uh, one center. You got another four-star top 15 guard. You got the number two running back in, in the country in Kamar Wheaton. All those guys are in the 2021 class, and he's in the 2020, uh, 2022 group. But at the same time, you know, that's what he's looking at. You know, there's still going to be a ton of youthful pieces in that Alabama offense when he gets to Tuscaloosa next year. And I think that'll be appealing. Will he be the starter? I don't know. Um, if Bryce Young, which we'll be talking more about this here soon, but if Bryce Young ends up being the starter, um, he's only going to be a second year player. So he at least has to stay for two more seasons. If it ends up being Paul Tyson, then that, you know, Ty Simpson commitment becomes all the more important because Bryce is probably leaving and your quarterback depth takes a huge hit. So, a lot of different perspectives on this, but it was absolutely huge for Alabama. It was great because, I mean, I understand, you know, um, several people had started talking within the last couple of weeks saying that it was a possibility that Alabama could end up landing Ty Simpson. And I knew they were involved with the recruitment, uh, but I guess I was pleasantly surprised at how they were able to close with him and kind of, you know, steal him out from underneath Clemson and then, of course, keep him away from Tennessee, which – that made a lot of sense uh, based off of their co coaching turnover, the uncertainty with that program. That wasn't a surprise, but uh, stealing them away from Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, I thought was pretty big. Um, so, you know, the, just wanted to touch on that. That was something big that happened last week. But what we'll do is we'll just dive right into these questions. Got to be honest, 
just grab first names and what social media it was from. And some of these, I don't have a name because one of, one of the questions came from Twitter and, you know, I could probably go pull up their app, which I probably need to do, but, um, you know, it was not a name, but you know, we'll kind of just go ahead, dive right into it, get things started. I'll let, I'll read the question, let you kind of, that they believe Paul Tyson will start over Bryce Young. I make that according to freerehabcenters.org, there are at least 75 drug rehabilitation centers in the state of Alabama, and they might need to find one. (laughs) Hey, we're getting this started right. Um, I completely agree. That's my take on that. Like, and and I don't. <laughs> that's gonna sound a lot meaner to Paul Tyson than I intended to. I'm just I'm just joking around. I think most people uh, know that about me by now. Like here here's what Paul Tyson has done in his time at Alabama. He enrolled. He got pretty pretty holistically beat out for the number three quarterback position by Talia Tungavaloa. Pretty pretty clearly because if you go back to that 2019 season. Talia, so so Tua got hurt and and Mac played, uh, what was it like four or five starts in in Tua's absence? Yes, um, four. Four starts and then the uh the second halves against Tennessee and Mississippi State for um those those respective injuries. No, well, was it Tennessee or Arkansas yeah. maybe? No, it was it was Tennessee. Yeah. I don't know. 2019 was like 30 years ago, dude. Um, <laughs> So you may remember when Mac was the starting quarterback for brief stretches of that season, it was always Talia who came in. And it wasn't like a timeshare with Talia and Paul Tyson. The only time Paul Tyson played in the 2019 season was the final like possession or two of the Western Carolina game at the very end of that season. And then in 2020, Mac Jones is your starter. Talia Tungavaloa has transferred so it's only Bryce Young and Paul Tyson, and we didn't see Paul Tyson at all. It was only Bryce Young who played in uh, when Mac Jones was was sitting at the end of, of blowouts. So what Paul Tyson has done in his short Alabama time is be completely beaten out for positions on the depth chart by two different people, one of whom was younger than than him that's just where what paul tyson has done in in his short time at alabama and that's okay like it's not everyone shows up to alabama and immediately develops to someone who can be a starter within two years mac jones is the perfect example of that and there there are countless others over the course of the last five or six years of of alabama football history like sometimes it takes time to, to develop to be a starter at a top flight program like this. Sometimes it takes time and that's okay. That time for, for Paul Tyson is not now. We have nothing in his recent practice track record to think that that time is now. And that's the the big thing for me is that for the people, I understand that there was a video released of him throwing the football around. I get that, it, it, you know, but it that's that is not where you win or lose a quarterback battle. Dude, if, are, if a college quarterback doesn't look like a superstar throwing a football around and in a t-shirt and shorts with his buddies in in January, then 
like he, he won't even be playing college football, first of all. Like anyone who <laughs> plays quarterback at, at this level looks like an absolute superstar in that context. Hey, I'll, you know what? Until about, what was it, about two weeks ago, I would have 100% agree with that statement, and I still completely agree with it. But I don't know if you've seen that video of Trevor Lawrence throwing the nuts. Um, he actually ended up quote-tweeting <laughs> it, and, and he was like, I've never been good at that, you know, but it, he looked terrible. Um, and and so and yet he's the number one, you expect to be the number one pick in the in April's draft. So I, I but you're a hundred percent right. I mean, that's just one example. And I mean, throwing nets and throwing, you know, to your buddies and, and a lot more of a relaxed setting, um, you know, that those two things right there are very different, but for Paul Tyson, I think the problem that we have is a lot of people see what happened with Mac Jones. And, and they, once they have that example and they realize that they're, the possibility is there. They start applying that to situations where it doesn't deserve to be applied, at least not yet. Uh, you have like a guy that was a borderline four star. A couple of recruiting services had him as a four a couple had him as a three. Um, but he was, you know, the second quarterback in that class with Tua was not really ever expected. He was kind of brought in to be a developmental guy to provide depth, but I don't even think anybody ever really thought Mac Jones is definitely going to end up being the guy at some point for Alabama. Maybe after two leaves, after three years, it'll definitely be Mac. No one really saw it playing out that way. They, they thought maybe it was a possibility, but you know, Paul Tyson comes in once again, being the second quarterback behind Leah Tungavaloa uh, in that particular class and was not viewed. Now, granted, Leah was a lot you know, lower rated than, than his brother was, but a lot of people thought that that was the future for Alabama. And Tyson, you know, just the, the Alabama connection with being, you know, Paul Bear Bryant's, uh, you know, great grandson. I mean, sure. Um, you know, that that's, that's great. And he's continued to get better from what I've heard behind the scenes. But that doesn't mean that he's done the things that he's needed to do to be involved in this quarterback competition, or at least to the degree of assuming, because that's what I've seen from a lot of people. It's not people thinking, you know what, if you say Paul Tyson is going to to surprise some people, I think he'll end up being better than a lot of people expect, or he'll be a much more competitive presence in this competition than a lot of people are, are expecting. I can get behind that. But for anybody saying, you know what, I think it's going to be Paul Tyson. What in the world have you seen or heard or anything that has led you to believe that it's going to be Paul Tyson with just this blanket assumption in Jan or you know February or March now, I guess it is. That's the part that's kind of bothered me. And what what it is is people are pointing to Bryce's season last year. It's not necessarily that they're elevating Paul Tyson because of anything Paul Tyson has done. They're lowering their thought process on Bryce Young because they don't feel like he, you know, was incredible um, in, in his first season. First of all, not every quarterback is ready to rock and roll their first year. You know, I understand that in today's college football, you get a lot of freshman contributors and all those things. But, you know, uh, Spencer Rattler was a guy. Now, granted, when he came in, he looked pretty good for Oklahoma. But he was a guy that ended up having a sit because of the guys that were in front of him. With with Bryce, there was no way he was going to uh, start over or Mac Jones. And if you laid that expectation at his feet and you have this assumption that, oh, he'll end up taking over before the first game even starts – that's on you, not Bryce Young. It's very unfair to have that sort of assumption for a true freshman. When Mac Jones, you know, 
pe- people put way too much emphasis on the two interceptions or the two pick sixes against Auburn. You and I have talked about that extensively. Don't understand whatsoever why he was getting as bad of a rap as he did going into last year. And yet the very next year, we're doing the same thing with Bryce Young. When he would be put into the games, first of all, very vanilla. Um, you know, you're trying to get him game reps. He's handing the ball off a lot. When you are asking him to throw the football, you're also tinkering with the offensive line. You're kicking Evan Neal from being a right tackle to a left tackle to kind of just, you know, see is, is that your future at left tackle? Or, you know, when Alex Leatherwood leaves, do you leave him on the right side and let some other guys compete for the left spot? Um, you know, those are the kind of things that Alabama was kind of testing out and tinkering with with their offensive line. And then you expect those guys you know, as the the opposing team, an SEC team, it was an all SEC schedule. You expect them to leave their starters in, and these you know offensive linemen that are depth guys are, are playing new spots. You know, Evan Neal going over to the left side. That's everything's polar opposite as far as dominant, you know, hand and all that stuff. You just expect them to keep clicking and and to you know be good enough to give Bryce Young the amount of time that he needs. And then when they're not able to, and they're not able to run the football very effectively or whatever. Then you start end up blaming you know a guy like Bryce Young and it's like go back and watch the tape. I mean yeah there was a couple of times he hung out of the ball too long. You know what Tua got hurt because he did that. You know he, that's something that he never really stopped doing. Uh, you know throughout his entire three seasons at Alabama. Um, but you know but you saw the, I would I, I wasn't looking for this finished product that was just going to dominate every time he stepped on the football field late in the second half. I was looking for a guy who was going to show the flashes and then say okay. If you start becoming more consistent with that as you get a full actual offseason, as you start to gel with your receivers more consistently, as you get an offensive line that's used to protecting for you, because every quarterback's different. If you're Mac Jones, the offensive lineman knows that he's just got to he's got to maintain that pocket as well as he possibly can, because that's where Mac Jones is going to be. Tua, elusive guy, you got to understand that he's going to be doing a lot of scrambling back there, trying to create time. Uh, you know, extending plays and doing things like that. So he, you got to block for him much more differently. And Bryce Young is a lot more Tua than he is Mac, um, definitely so, probably even more so than Tua. And so those kind of things take some time for the offensive line to start to understand how they need to approach their blocking for a certain quarterback. So all these factors involved, I just don't understand the whole, you know, let's completely write off Bryce in his first season. And if you, it's like I said, I've seen people say that they are – you know, heavy believers that he's going to be a lot more involved in the competition than people think. I'm fine with that statement. I disagree. It has nothing to do with Paul Tyson. I, I just am still a huge believer in Bryce Young. But for anybody that's just saying, you know what, I'm I'm going to go ahead and say that I think Paul Tyson's going to start. There's nothing that supports that. A- absolutely nothing. I mean, I, I don't understand where you're 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 reaching that conclusion on anything other than just uh, ignorance. I guess yeah. I, I imagine that's the only way you can you can reach that conclusion. And that doesn't mean that Paul Tyson won't be a starter and a good starter for, for Bama in 2023 or some other time in the future. But uh, that that time we have no reason to believe that that time is now. Um, before we move on to, to the other questions, we should probably tell the people about home field apparel. It is Unique, collegiately licensed apparel on the most comfortable hoodies, T-shirts, and sweatshirts that you will own. Logos and designs that you have never seen before. There are roughly a a little more than a dozen pieces of Alabama apparel on homefieldapparel.com, including three P. 
pieces of apparel from the most recent football national championship. They got the the licensing for for some of those national championship logos. So you're probably going to buy that stuff anyway. You might as well do it from home field apparel because, A, it's going to be more comfortable than the stuff you buy at a sporting goods store or Walmart or on Alabama's campus. And, B, you can use the promo code BAMABEAT to get 20% off your first purchase at home field apparel. There's also stuff from almost a hundred schools and they're adding more as we speak. Home field actually tweeted earlier this week that they're going to add two more power five schools that are pretty likely to be in the NCAA tournament on the basketball side of things. So there's, they're consistently adding schools, both big and small. Like they just added an HBCU not that long ago. I'm trying to, to remember which one it was, Hampton, maybe. Um, but they added HBCU stuff, and they're adding Power 5 stuff, and then they're they're constantly hyping up their their next round of, of Big New Saturday whenever that comes out. So all of that and more is on homefieldapparel.com. Question number two, Clint. Steven from Instagram asks, with all the losses on offense, the defense is going to have to be better this year. Do you think they will be? Who the the defensive line like it almost has to right because your your losses are Christian Barmore and and that's it right yes so you know, I mean Christian Barmore was ridiculously productive in the second half of the regular season so you're you're clearly not happy about losing that guy but man like with with everything else you have returning which i mean let's let's look at it let's look at um alabama's tackles for loss from from last season on its defensive line christian barmer obviously led the group with nine and a half byron young six and a half he's back fedarian mathis five he's back Tim Smith, two and a half. Whoa, that is a bigger number than I anticipated for him. He's back. DJ Dale is back. LeBron Ray, we expect to be back. Justin Aboigby, also back. Plus, Jamarian Latham got another year of experience in the program, um, the, the freshman from Pickens County. And then you're you're adding some pieces in your 2021 recruiting class, some, some true freshman, Monkel Goodwine, is in that class. The five-star defensive tackle, Damon Payne, is in there as well. And I'm sure there are a couple names that I'm, I'm I'm missing in the recruiting class. There's also Tim Keenan and Anquin Barnes, two two in-state prospects. And I'm sure there are some some names that I'm missing. Jamil Burroughs is is one that 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 I was missing. With with all of that returning, your your defensive line, you'd be pretty heavily surprised if your defensive line wasn't better then you're you're getting pretty similar production returning it outside linebacker with with Christopher Allen and Will Anderson Jr. two guys who I think were top three in the SEC in tackles for loss yes Chris Allen was one Will Anderson Jr. was three they're both returning Jordan Battle back at safety DeMarco Hellams back Brian Branch and Malachi Moore back so you have some obvious questions that inside linebacker and at corner, but there's so much returning at some pretty high leverage positions that 
I'd be surprised if this defense wasn't better in, in 2021 than it was in, in 2020. And I'm, I'm looking this up right now. Alabama finished last season 20th in the nation in yards per play allowed. So it's not like there's a huge gulf for them to to make up like there was um, in, in previous seasons. But I, I think being better than that is is absolutely on the table for them. I completely agree. And and you got to think about the question marks that we had for Alabama's defense last year or going into last year. Um, first of all, the exterior pass rush. You know, we felt like Christian Barmore was going to be a great interior guy, but you worried about the exterior. There was tons of talent there, but we're like, man, there's just not a whole lot of production. There's not a whole lot of experience. And so you worried about that. Now the edge uh, position is is extremely deep you know you're adding dallas uh turner and keanu coat to the mix on top of you know quan uh robinson on top of drew sanders on top of chris braswell you got the two starters there with with uh, christopher allen and will anderson jr two potentially dominant guys especially will anderson on top of having a lot of rotational pieces if you need them uh, playing behind them and then you know the, I, there is somewhat of a question mark as far as the interior goes as far as you know there's plenty of bodies tons of guys who are very good at stopping the run some guys that can provide a little bit of complimentary pass rush but are you going to have that Christian Barmore Quentin Williams type of interior pass rushing presence because if you can do that it seems like it's it's like every other year Alabama's looking to to you know uh, get the interior guy or they're looking to get the exterior guy if they can find that season where they're getting dominant you know performances from both which I guess that towards the end of this past year Will Anderson started to get home a little bit more and started to get more comfortable Chris Allen was playing good football so I guess to some degree Alabama had it this past year but then you saw uh, that doesn't always lead to dominant statistical uh, success, but in those crucial moments of games where you're going, you know, to to uh, war with a Georgia or a Florida or you know really anybody, um, getting those those stops can be very important, and, and, and Alabama has the ability to do that. I, I'll continue to reiterate: if you're expecting a 2011, 2012, 2016. Uh, 2017 type of defense, you're not going to get it. That those things just, in my opinion, don't exist anymore. Uh, when you're going against these elite offenses, and we've seen that, even the the Georgias of the world who have, you know, quote unquote, had those elite level, extremely deep defenses, when they go against uh, top caliber, uh, you know, offenses like an LSU uh, in 2019, they got completely smoke bombed, and that's just the kind of college football that we live in. But Better in comparison to this past year, I certainly think that that is is possible. But because a you're talking about the exterior pass rush or, or your front, where is that pass rush going to come from? That question mark going into last year, and then the secondary was replacing a ton of guys. Um, you know, Xavier McKinney, Shaheem Carter. Uh, you know, I mean, there was tons of them. Jared Maiden being another one. Um, it, and uh, Trevon Diggs being another, they were I think it was like five defensive backs, at least four, maybe a fifth that you know I'm drawing a blank on, but that they were replacing coming into last year. Now the only guy you really lose is is Patrick Sertain, uh, and, and that's a big loss. Don't get me wrong, but when you start looking at the depth that they've accumulated or they've built 
um, especially through this 2021 class. That was the part that I didn't feel comfortable about last year. And the thing I questioned was I liked the, the, the idea of Josh Job emerging and stepping up and becoming that number two guy. I liked, you know, um, their starters. I just didn't feel like I had a ton of confidence in their depth. Well, not only has that depth continued to develop and and, and kind of grow within the program and the system, you also got, you know, Kyrie Jackson coming in as a JUCO guy who can immediately contribute. You got you got Kool Aid McKinstry who can come in maybe as a true freshman and help out. Um, you got guys like Tyrion Arnold there who can come in and provide depth. So I just feel very good about the secondary and those two factors I think are very important. They're still deep at inside linebacker. Uh, there's just not really on paper. There's not a whole lot that I question about this Alabama defense outside of just who's it going to be. Could it be LeBron Ray? I know that he has some pass rushing ability, um, but they need some uh, an interior presence to at least provide some sort of complimentary pass rush. But if they can get that, I feel very good about you know the, the defense at pretty much every other spot. And it's another year with Pete Golding's system that might not excite some, but that continuity and that comfortability, I think, is is going to you know continue to help Alabama. No, you <laughs> you, you make a good point uh, about the interior pass rush and the need for that because that was something that ended up becoming a, a pretty significant strength of Alabama's towards the end of the, the year. They had that run um, towards the, the end of the season. They had three sacks against Auburn, five against LSU, eight against Arkansas, my God, five against Florida in the SEC title game, and then two sacks against Notre Dame in the semifinal, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you kind of think back to the way Notre Dame was was running its offense in, in that game – Getting getting two sacks in in that game is is not an insignificant deal considering Notre Dame they ended up attempting 42 passes but it was a lot of dink and dunk uh, underneath stuff there so so getting two sacks in that Notre Dame game was was not insignificant so to to your to kind of bolster your point pass rush ended up being a, a strength of Alabama's towards the end of the season and they will need to find a way to to replicate that from from the inside the way Barmore did in the second half of the the season it's almost as if Barmore's resurgence and Alabama's overall pass rush numbers it's almost as if they improved hand in hand right it's almost as if Barmore giving Alabama an interior pass rush and Alabama sack numbers going up it's funny how they kind of happened at the same time it's almost as if the two were tied <laughs> it uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because it does seem like that Christian Barmore really starting to find his groove happened about the same time that Will Anderson started really figuring stuff out and, and learning how to finish. And, and he was getting it pretty much from the, the jump. He was already really starting to show some flashes. It's just he wasn't finishing with sacks, but the pressures and, and the disruption was absolutely uh, was absolutely there. And so those two things started clicking it pretty much the exact same time. And then everything else started coming together uh, fairly nice for Alabama. Uh, so third question, we'll go ahead and move on and then we'll get, you know, take a quick break. And then on the other side of the break, we'll get these last two. But uh, w- Terry from Facebook asked, what are Alabama's chances of getting Henry Toto Toto? Oh Lord, Terry, put it in reverse, Terry. Um, <laughs> totally unrelated to the question. Just, Whenever I hear the name Terry, uh, that that comes to mind. Um, this is probably your department than than mine, but 
it seems plausible that, that Alabama could get Henry Toho Toho just because it makes a lot of sense. Alabama just lost an all-SEC caliber starter at inside linebacker, and while Dylan Moses didn't necessarily perform at that level in his final season at Alabama, you saw early in his career that he was absolutely of that caliber. You lose a guy like that, another all-SEC caliber inside linebacker can look at that and say that's a pretty nice place for me to – to slide in and the competition just uh, became a little less crowded with, with Ale Kaho making the, the move to Utah via the, the transfer portal. So, so Bama fans have a reason to watch the Utes next season. Um, so, so if you're looking at this from T- Henry Tolotolo's perspective, your, your primary question is about Jalen Moody. Like is, is Jalen Moody good enough to, to beat me out for this second inside linebacker spot alongside um, Christian Harris. And I don't have the answer to that. I would presume that Toho Toho's production and experience would give him a heads up over Jalen Moody, who made a lot of improvements early in his career at, at Alabama. And as someone who's drawn some of that practice field attention, he just doesn't have a lot of uh, in-game experience since he only played that that Arkansas game last year when Christian Harris went down on the on the first defensive snap of, of that game. So you might be able to speak better to the chances of it just based on who else Henry Tolotolo is considering and who else is, is recruiting him. But I can see where – I guess I just made the case where Alabama would be an attractive, um, an attractive landing spot for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first off – his job becomes a lot easier if you're playing in front of Alabama's defensive line compared to Tennessee's defensive line. When you get that kind of depth and the guys that are going to command the kind of attention, um, a guy like that comes in and has the ability to, to kind of free float the football quite a bit. Uh, he's a, he's an effective coverage linebacker. He can do pretty much everything. Uh, there, there's nothing that I really w- look and say, you know what? He's a liability in this area. He's a true three down linebacker in my opinion. Um, and, and so as far as him ending up at Alabama, I think that, you know, if, if, from what I've been reading, which I have no inside information, but based off of quotes from his dad, I do know that he very seriously considered going to Alabama and he ultimately decided to go with Tennessee. He ended up regretting that decision, uh, or at least his dad kind of alluded to the fact that they regret that decision. They wish he would have picked Alabama. And now you've got a second chance to, to kind of correct that mistake, and and I you know that's why a lot of people feel like you'll end up in Tuscaloosa. And so I, I think that it's a very real possibility. I think Nick Saban and Alabama would absolutely love to have him. I understand there's tons of depth there, but you know, Toe Toe is the kind of player that you create room for because and, and people have pointed to his season last year. First of all, I went I, after people have said that. I went back and watched a little bit of his tape just to say, you know what, let's find out, um, you know, what, what, what kind of was going on. And there are a lot of factors involved. First of all, I just don't think the development necessarily was there from that Tennessee coaching staff. Um, I, I don't think that really, yeah, which, yeah, which is kind of why, um, you know, there's an entirely new coaching staff there in Tennessee, um, including, you know, Kevin still coming in and then, you know, getting shipped out. Like they were all about, you know, trying to find the right combination of guys and maybe they found it. Who knows? But it was just, there was a lot of instability there. The team wasn't playing great. 
you know, there were opportunities, but I didn't see, you know, Toto missing a ton of tackles. I didn't see him missing a ton of assignments. I just don't think it was kind of in some ways it was similar to the way Dylan Moses looked this year for Alabama. Like you would think that with the guys that he had playing in front of him and his, you know, natural athletic ability that he would have been making plays all over the field, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't really happening. And, and with, with him, you kind of realize, okay, you know, there were other factors involving him going from the wheel to the mic spot. That kind of affects things. Him not being a hundred percent confident in the knee that affects things. But I'm a, still a huge believer in Toho Toho. I think he's got the potential to be one of the best linebackers in college football. There's no reason for you not to go ahead and try to uh, scoop him up if you can. And if he d- ends up going somewhere else, I'm fully confident in, in Jalen Moody's ability or, you know, Demoye Kennedy or, you know, whoever it ends up being. You know, maybe a Shane Lee if he decides to, to get back into the mix. Uh, I think Alabama has tons of options. you got the true freshman coming in, uh, that, that trio of guys – and so plenty of depth. They're going to be just fine. But if I understand that some Bama fans, you know, say, hey, we're fine at that spot. But, you know, you go you don't hope that one of these other guys can develop if you have the opportunity to get a toe toe who, you know, granted still needs to work on a couple of things. But I think he's I mean, he's, he was an impactful player for Tennessee from the time he stepped in, you know, foot in Knoxville. And so I think that if you can get that, you certainly do. And it's kind of similar, uh, maybe, you know, trying to make a comparison very quickly. It's it's kind of similar to um, the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tungvaloa. In my opinion, if you have the opportunity, I, I still fully believe in Tua's ability to bounce back from last year. Still think he's going to be a good quarterback. If you're the Miami Dolphins and you can sit there and say, do we gamble on we think he's going to come back and, and and or bounce back and have a really good second year and really start to grow but that's not really a sure thing do we really just take a step back and say man i really hope he becomes a top 10 quarterback or do we go out and, and if we have the opportunity do we secure a top a guaranteed top five quarterback uh that's and when you have that option it's like if if the the, the miami dolphins choose to to make that deal i can't blame them uh, because I just I think that you take the sure thing and Henry Toto in this instance is a lot more so the sure thing. So you go ahead and take him, you let him uh, you know become the starter, which I don't think you're gonna bring him in if you don't tell him you know he's gonna be the starter, um, at least to some degree. So yeah, I think they have a pretty good chance of getting him, and I think he's gonna be a very good player for Alabama if he chooses to come to Tuscaloosa. All right, that's gonna do it for the first part. We'll hop on over to the second part. We're gonna take a quick break. But when we come back, we got a couple of more questions to address before we send Brett off uh, into the sunset. So this is the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel. And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles. Wickles Pickles are giving you every pickle-related product you can possibly think of. Pickles, relishes, okras, sandwich spreads, jalapeno spreads, cornichons, and much more. Plus, masks, hats, t-shirts, things like that. It is all at wicklespickles.com. You can find the jars of pickles on the pickle aisle of your local store, including up in New Jersey. A, A listener to the podcast tweeted at me about finding a jar of Wickles up in New Jersey and buying it to support the podcast. So uh, it, it is far, while it is 
an Alabama thing. Wickles is a family recipe, 90 years in the making right here in the state of Alabama. It's, it's much easier to find here in Alabama and the, the neighboring states. It can apparently be found up the eastern seaboard of the United States as far away as New Jersey and possibly further. So check your pickle aisle of your local store. See if you can find some Wickles pickles to get some heat in your pickle product. Wickles pickles, let's get wicked. Uh, Clint, I'll let you answer the fourth question first because I know where you're going to go with it, and I want to kind of go off board. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, John from Instagram gets in and he says or he asks which freshman makes the biggest contribution kool-aid would be my pick and of course talking about kool-aid mckinstry um i don't think that's a terrible guess uh you know just i think depth is needed i think he's a very talented guy who knows it's possible you know with with certain moving on to the nfl that that mckinstry could come in and start uh as a freshman you know i, I wouldn't go ahead and assume that but you're talking about you know contribution. I don't know, but if I had to throw around a couple of people as as possibilities, you know, Kyrie Jackson's not going to count because he's a JUCO guy. And the question question asked, which freshman? Um, J.C. Latham uh, with with Alex Otherwood moving on. Regardless of if Evan Neal you know kicks from right tackle to left tackle, or if he stays on the right side, I think J.C. Latham is certainly going to be involved in that competition. You could say Tommy Brockermeyer as well. Uh, but I think that one of those two guys for sure is going to at least contribute um, to Corey Brooks, you know, looking back and I've continued to reiterate this to Corey Brooks is that kind of big body. You know, he's, he hadn't filled out completely, but he's got a great frame. I think he's going to end up being, you know, a 210, 215 pound, six, two, six, three type of receiver, kind of that big bodied X receiver. And, and as I was going through and, and looking at Bill O'Brien's numbers, and I've talked about this, Huge fan of that big body X receiving type. Um, in, in his eight seasons as a head coach, eight full seasons, I guess I should say. This past year didn't count. He was only with Houston for, I think, four games or five games. Uh, but in those eight seasons, only two guys, only two players led the team in receiving yards. And that was DeAndre Hopkins every year he was with the Texans and Allen Robinson in the two years that he was with Penn State. Um, that both those two guys in that six two, you know, two hundred ten pound plus range, two hundred fifteen pound plus range. Um, and I think DeAndre Hopkins might be like six one and a half or six one, so maybe not six. You know, point being, you know, thicker guys who can go up and win the fifty fifty balls, win contested catches. So I think that sets up pretty nicely for a guy like Jacory Brooks. There's obviously a huge need there at receiver, you know, at least from a depth perspective. But with the way things that have been going in recent years, you know, you got the DJ Dells who emerged out of everybody to become a starter. You got Malachi Moore, who was one of the the lowest rated defensive backs in last year's class, come in and become one of the most impactful freshmen in the country. You know, it could end up being a guy like Ian Jackson or something. Uh, you know, they, I mean, he's an early enrollee, versatile piece, you know, solid in coverage. Very good as far as being, you know, a pass rusher. He knows how to play in space extremely well. The way he, they used him, he didn't really have to sift through traffic at Pravel too much uh, because he was playing out there on the edge. Um, but, you know, him being, you know, 6'1", 6'2", 220, 225 pounds, he doesn't really have the the length of the frame to, to be a true edge player. So he's going to play, you know, he can end up playing a variety of roles for Alabama. They can play him, you know, kind of as a, as a um, 
box defensive back as an off-ball linebacker. They can line him up on the edge in certain situations, use him as an off-ball blitzer. And just with the way things have been going in recent years, as far as getting contributions from guys that really nobody predicted coming in, you know, Ian Jackson, to me, if I had to put one guy out there who I think can contribute early, uh, that, that maybe nobody's talking about. It's kind of further down the recruiting board a little bit for Alabama's class. Ian Jackson might be another guy that I would bring up. But I would say that those first two guys, J.C. Latham and uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, would be my two that I feel pretty confident in. I wanted you to go first because Kool-Aid McKinstry is like the intelligent pick. He is the number one cornerback in the recruiting class, the number 17 overall prospect in the recruiting class, a five-star at cornerback, a position where Alabama is losing a starter and didn't really produce an obvious heir apparent. Like Jalen Armour Davis, Brandon Turnage, Jaquez Robinson, Marcus Banks, they're all there, but they aren't they aren't obvious heir apparent. This isn't a, a situation where a Bryce Young is waiting in the wings or for one of the many um starting offensive line positions available. Chris Owens is waiting in the wings. There, there are other examples like with Jordan battle when, um, when Jared Maiden left and, and Shaheem Carter left after the 2019 season, those, those were obvious air apparents and, and Alabama didn't really produce that at cornerback and it's, it's 2020 season. So Jaquincy Kool-Aid McKinstry is that intelligent pick where frankly, if, if you see someone answer this question with someone other than Kool-Aid, they're probably trying too hard. Like they're trying to be different just for the sake of, of being different, just because this is this is right there for you. It's it's the most obvious choice. And and like you did in, in identifying Latham and Brooks and, and some others, that being the case, I kind of wanted to go off board a little bit and, and just identify that this is your obvious answer. But if you want to be different and, and try to find maybe a second or a third, one that, that I look at is Christian Leary, the four-star wide receiver. Um, he, he's one of four wide receivers in this um, draft class jo- joining Ja'Cory Brooks, as, as you mentioned, the, the five-star Ajayi Hall and JoJo Early. But I look at Christian Leary because he is like legitimately projected as the fastest player in this 2021 recruiting class nationwide. And in a situation where Alabama is having to figure out what it's going to do with this wide receiving core, you, you figure John Mechie the third is going to be a, a feature type guy in, in a role, probably to a lesser degree, obviously to, to what Devonte Smith was to, to last year's team. You think he's going to be that number one perimeter receiver. You think Slade Bolden is going to have a role in the slot, but you aren't really sure what Bama does with his third and fourth wide receivers. You can, you can figure or you can kind of project a role where a just absolute raw burner like Christian Leary could kind of work his way into a niche fourth wide receiver role where they use him only in specific situations that he could just turn on the jets and, and, and really not have to command the entire playbook that, that makes sense to me. Um, So he's one that's off board for me. And the other one is Demond Payne, five-star Defensive tackle out of Michigan, um, top top prospect out of the state of Michigan, number 23 in the overall recruiting class. And 
I, I identify him because Bama's really been looking for a standout defensive tackle ever since DJ Dale got hurt in the 2019 season. He was that. He was having a really strong start to his freshman year in 2019, and then he got hurt, and, and he was kind of in and out of the lineup and the rest of the 2019 season. He had kind of an, an underwhelming 2020 season, and, and Bama didn't really – find that standout defensive tackle until Christian Barmore emerged in the second half of, of 2020 and he's gone. So, so you're, you're looking for that guy once again. And, and, and I think DeMond Payne has a chance there. there. There are other candidates there. So it's not, it's not quite to the plug in potential plug and play degree that, that Kool-Aid is. There's Tim Smith. Um, there's Jamil Burroughs. There's Jamarian Latham. Fedarian Mathis can handle nose guard pretty well. So can LeBron Ray if, if he's healthy. So it's not like DeMond Payne just has an obvious opening in the depth chart to take advantage of, but there is a role there. There is a, a standout player that, that Bama has been looking for at that kind of a position. And, and DeMond Payne seems like someone who could fit that. I'll tell you right now, um, imagining Tim Smith and DeMond Payne playing next to each other, uh, in oh the future God. over the next couple of years, whether it be rotational roles right now, but, you know, probably starting in 2022, I'm guessing both guys are going to be, you know, probably going to be starters. I, I, Tim Smith, I think, is going to have just an absolutely monster year this year. I want to go ahead and put that out there now. I'll continue to reiterate it, you know, leading up to the season. I don't know if necessarily he'll be a starter, but I think that at some point he's going to be so dominant that he's going to have to become a starter. Uh, I love the just the, the the athleticism that he brings to the table with his, his height and his weight and his raw power. Just very rare combination of traits that I think is going to become a dominant force for Alabama. But DeMond Payne playing next to him, I think it's going to be extremely fun to watch. And, and whether that's this year or next year doesn't really matter. I um, think it's going to be a lot of fun. So final question, and this is from the Rando. Guess what I didn't do? I didn't go get his Twitter handle. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but it just very quickly. And I mean, you know, it, it pretty easy. Uh, not easy question, but just – the thing that a lot of people have been talking about from an NFL perspective, but who has the better season, Brett, Tua or Jalen, in 2021? Oh, uh, dude, you know where I'm at with the NFL. It just it doesn't gather my interest. It doesn't grab me for for whatever reason. It just it it just doesn't do it for me. I, I was thinking about this when when I saw the question. I don't know that I can name another member of the Dolphins. Like I, I eventually thought about it and, and I, is Fletcher Cox still an Eagle? Is Fletcher Cox still an Eagle? Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. Okay. Okay. See, I was thinking about it because when I saw the, the question, I was like, dude, I don't, I really don't know that I can name a single member of either of these teams. Cause here's what I know about the Eagles. I know Jalen Hurts is there. I know they recently let go of Doug Peterson. I know they recently traded Carson Wentz, I think, to the Colts. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And I, I remembered through some some kind of heavy thinking that Fletcher Cox was there. That is the extent of my knowledge on the Philadelphia Eagles. Didn't, didn't they hire a head coach who said some, like, super aggro football bro-y things in his press conference? I feel like uh, I saw some jokes about that. Uh, well, um. 
what he ended up doing uh, is, you know, it, Nick Sirianni is his name, but he ended up, he's never been a head coach before, extremely nervous. So he'd start doing that thing like I used to do with, with like presentations in school where you kind of just start repeating yourself a lot and just figuring <laughs> out different ways to say the exact same thing just yeah. to, you know, space it out a little bit, get a little bit more time under your belt. If you, it's got to be a 10 minute presentation about four or five minutes of, of my presentations in school were just me saying the same thing, just in a different way to, to prolong what very limited amount of preparation I'd actually done on said project. So I totally get it. Uh, but yeah, he caught a little bit of flag for that. Okay. Uh, and, and then I, I really don't think I can name a single member of the, of the Miami dolphins. Like who, who is, who is the best player the dolphins have? Best player. That's, mm. I mean, I probably like, say like Xavier Howard, maybe. Players, see if I know that any of them are Dolphins. Xavier Howard. Um, no. Man, that, does, that to... person does not exist, by the way. You're not, you're not fooling me with that. <laughs> man, I don't, dude. I, you know what? Here's a major problem: the fact that I can't definitively point out three players that I feel like are the best. Um, you know, Jerome Baker's good. Uh, you know, Christian Wilkins, the former Clemson defensive lineman. He's yeah, starting I know to. Him from Clemson. I didn't know he was a Dolphin. Yeah, you know they should sign Shaq Lawson. Uh, I'm trying to think offensive line was. You know nobody that really just stands out above everybody else. Um, Devontae Parker. Um, no. Uh, Miles Gaskin at running back. Yeah, I guess the reason that this is. I mean, I can name you all all these players. I'm trying to figure out which ones I'd put into a top three, and I just there's, there's none there as I'm kind of running through. But um, point point being, I I I could not name a single member of of the Dolphins. So I have I have no idea who's going to have a better season. So you tell me who's going to have a better season, Jalen or Tua. What's interesting is they're actually in kind of similar situations to some degree. At least, well, Jalen, if, if if they can get, you know, um, Jason Kelsey at center back, they can get Brandon Brooks back at right guard, um, you know, Andre Dillard, their, you know, first round pick from a couple of years ago, their left tackle, he got hurt. Lane Johnson, their right tackle, former first round pick, you know, staple on their offensive line. He, you know, got banged up a couple of times last season. So the offensive line was in shambles. The receivers, you know, Jalen Rager, which was their first-round pick this past year, he didn't have the type of first season. Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson were, you know, shells of them, uh, their former self. Um, Zach Ertz, I want to say, yeah, he got definitely got banged up there for a while. He's probably not going to be back. But it, it's just, you know, you look at what Jalen dealt with last year and what Tua dealt with as far as the talent around him. Neither one of them had a ton. And that's the part to me when, when I've been asked about Tua – or I've shared my thoughts on you know him and people are down on him and stuff. Here's the argument that I keep making. What things does a quarterback need around him that is going to help make him successful? You can break it down into a few you know different things. Play calling. Chan Gailey did, was not on board with Tua Tagovailoa randomly getting named the starter. Uh, you know, after several games when Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing well, they were in playoff contention. He's a huge Ryan Fitzpatrick fan. He was his coach with the with the Buffalo Bills. He, he's just a huge fan. So he was not on board with the decision to bring two in when they did. And he was very 
conservative with the way that he called the game when Tua was in the game compared to when Ron Fitzpatrick would come in towards the end of games when he was, you know, quote unquote, acting as that closer or in that closer role. So I don't feel like he had great play calling. Uh, you talk about, you know, if you're going to be a successful quarterback, you need to have a good offensive line blocking for you. Did Tua have that? No, he didn't. He, they drafted a lot of rookies. They signed some free agents. It's going to take quite a bit of time for all those guys to gel. And, you know, rookie seasons, first year, you know, with that franchise, whether it be a free agent like Eric Flowers or Ted Karras, even though I think Karras is probably gone. Point being, didn't have a great offensive line in front of him. You talk about weapons. Devontae Parker is a pretty good receiver. Um, you know, Preston Williams, pretty good receiver. But you got to think, what did Tua thrive with at Alabama? First of all, neither one of those two guys, I would say, are elite. Neither one of them are true wide receiver ones. But plus, um, Tua dealt with the, the – the, or not dealt with, but got to have the smaller – better route running receivers who can create separation through their route running. And then Tua got to use his elite level accuracy to be absolutely lethal. The big body guys like they have in Miami right now who are, you know, kind of like that Ja'Cory Brooks type. It's like, they're just, you know, it, I don't feel like it fits Tua great. And neither one of them are just, you know, it's not like one of them is, is a Deandre Hopkins. And then you say, well, he doesn't win like Alabama's receivers did, but he's freaking Deandre Hopkins. You should be able to have success with that. Those players aren't that caliber or even remotely close to that caliber. So there were the weapons, you know, Mike Gusecki and it's okay. Um, you know, he's a, he's a good tight end. He's not a great tight end, not an elite tight end by any means. And then the other thing that you need to be successful is a, a complimentary run game to try to take as much pressure off of a rookie quarterback as possible. Did Miami have that? Absolutely not. Miles freaking Gaskin was their running back for a majority of the season. Uh, and plus that offensive line, same sort of situation where you don't have the dynamic running back. You don't have an offensive line that has gelled and become, you know, the unit that it's eventually going to become or that you hope that it becomes. And so you can't get anything going consistently with a run game. You don't have a play caller that's helping you out. You don't have a ton of weapons in the passing game. Guys are dropping balls all the time. How in the world did you expect Tua to overcome absolutely all that in his first season in the league as he's coming, as he didn't get a regular offseason, as he didn't get, um, as he was recovering from a, a severe hip injury that almost ended his career, uh, I just, it, to me, it, it's it's mind blowing how many people are, are are against Tua after one season. Jalen, I thought, you know, he had his moments where he really started to to show what he was capable of. Also, you know, he hasn't he's not a finished product, but once again, I saw another year given the. The fact that he's no longer playing in the Big 12 at Oklahoma with all that talent around him and an offensive scheme like Lincoln Riley's, uh, things are a lot more even in the NFL. And so you obviously expect uh, – you wouldn't expect him to, to put up the kind of numbers, but what I saw was continued growth from working through his progressions, making the right you know call or the right read. Um, I saw that uh, you know a little bit better, so he's at least moving in the right direction. So I think he has a good season this year too, and I think that with that offensive line, if they can get those guys back and they're you – know, I think they're in a much better position to put a good offensive line in front of him. Maybe if they choose to use that number six pick, if they commit to him um, to to add another weapon like a Jamar Chase or a Devontae Smith or a Jalen Waddle or, you know, a Kyle Pitts or, you know, whoever they end up getting, um, that's certainly going to help him. So, you know, I think it's tough, but I, I mean, I, I, I'll go ahead and say I think Tua is going to have a, a massive bounce back here. The only thing that I'm worried about with Tua whatsoever is how much has all this negativity, you know, shook or shaken his 
confidence. If he can remain confident in himself and, and just play football, I still think the talent's there. I still think he's got plenty of opportunities to succeed. I'm just worried about um, if you know if he gets shipped out to Houston, I think that's going to severely hurt his confidence, and we might you know we never. Um, we might never see him reach his full potential or even close to it. If he stays there in Miami and they say, we're committing to you, we believe in you, we're going to build around you. May, you know, I hope that's enough to keep his confidence going. Hopefully all this negativity from fans and stuff hadn't you know, kind of got him off balance or off kilt uh, too much. But I think that he's going to have a huge bounce back here, so I'd probably go to it. Sounds plausible to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. Well, um, for the last time for me on a football podcast, I, I, my, my last day is Monday, March 8th, I think it is. So, yes. So I, I still have one more baseball podcast for those of you that, that want to hear me on, on that platform. But for the last time for me on the Bama Beat football podcast, thank you for listening to the Bama Beat podcast. Thank you so much, Brett, for everything you've done. For the podcast, for me, uh, you've been a fantastic co-host. I've loved every second of it. Um, you know, wish you nothing but the best moving forward, brother. Uh, like you said, this has been the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. <laughs>